Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right. Welcome back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis, joined as always by Drew Lerner. Please subscribe at the SMW podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Let's go ahead and dive into the ratings for the AFC and NFC title game. So uh, the games did incredibly well. Uh, the NFC title game was the most watched as the Lions lost to the 49ers, averaged nearly, nearly 57 million viewers, and uh, was the most watched uh, conference title game since 2012. And the AFC title game had fewer viewers, 55 million, but because the AFC is less of a draw than the NFC traditionally, it was the most watched AFC title game. Uh, obviously, we know that's not really true because of the out-of-home factor. There are any number of AFC title games in recent years that probably had a larger audience overall. The previous record for an AFC title game, 54.85 million for Jet Steelers in 2011. You add out-of-home viewing to that, that's probably over 60 million. So a record in name only, as most of these records are, but still enormous numbers, uh, 55 million viewers. And, and, you know, one thing that you can't put at the feet of out-of-home viewing is the year-over-year increase. And that was up 17% in viewership over the same window last year, 49ers-Eagles. So great numbers for the NFL. Uh, not so great Super Bowl matchup, to be completely honest. I mean, it's not a bad one, but when you had the opportunity to have the Detroit Lions in there and you end up with the San Francisco 49ers, that's a letdown. Sorry, San Francisco. Um, yeah, it's a disappointment. Uh, the NFL would have really liked to see the Lions in there. And, you know, Chiefs 49ers, basically the exact same as when they last played in the Super Bowl four years ago, which is to say the 49ers are a major brand, familiar brand, but not really an exciting team in that same way as, as other teams. And Brock Purdy is a name, but he's not an, an above-the-fold name yet. So uh, very similar to their 2020 matchup. Drew, I'll bring you in. Um, an another Rhino record. I, I kind of like that a record and <laughs> name only. That's that's pretty funny there, John. Um, you know, in an effort to avoid kind of the, the out of home conversation that we've had, you know, quite often on this podcast, I want to get your feelings on what else do you think impacted these these ratings numbers and these viewership numbers? Was it you know the fact that both games were very close? I mean, given the competitiveness of both games, I actually thought the numbers might have been a little higher, maybe approaching 60. Um, obviously, you have this vaunted Taylor Swift bump that everyone likes to write about, and no one actually knows if it's actually a tangible increase in viewership. Uh, is there anything else that you think might have, you know, juiced these numbers or even suppressed these numbers? Because, like I said, I actually thought these could have been higher. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised to see 60 million. Um, you know, who knows? I mean, the NFL is just having a great season. That's why this, frankly, lackluster Super Bowl matchup, it'll probably be the most watched Super Bowl uh, on record. You know, they're adding in every single piece of data they can find between the couch cushions. And by the way, you have two English language networks carrying it this year. And the Spanish language network is Univision. Previously, it was ESPN Deportes. That alone 
So between Univision and Nickelodeon, that's going to be a big deal in terms of viewership. I mean, this will be a huge hit. Do I even want to talk about this? Obviously, the Vivek Ramaswamy insanity is just not even worth it. This guy, you know, he'll say whatever he has to say. There's no, there's no need to even dignify that conspiracy theory. At the same time, I am so sick of this. I'm sick of the heart wipes. I'm sick of the puns. I'm sick of the, hey, 1989, everybody. And now, of course, it's become part of the culture war, which was inevitable. It was inevitable that it would become part of the culture war. Because when you overdo something, and this has been overdone, you're almost like trying to elicit a backlash, right? And this was overdone to the point, well, there you go. Now you have the crazies who actually do believe the things that they say. Well, maybe not Vivek. He might not believe anything. But, you know, now you have the crazies. You, you've triggered the crazies. Congratulations, everybody. Great job. Um, that's certainly one aspect of all of this. I was actually more focused on, is there any tangible viewership impact that she has? Because I think for the Super Bowl... When you're talking about a, a broad appeal audience, which is what the Super Bowl is going for, that's why they have the halftime shows and the commercials and all of that. This is for the very casual sports fan, right? Taylor Swift being there actually might have an impact on Super Bowl viewership. Who knows how much? But I think that's a little different from the cultural aspect of all of this and, you know, Dudes, Chads and Brads on Twitter freaking out about Taylor Swift being shown for, according to Awful Announcing, 0.5% of the entire broadcast, about as much as they showed crab cakes in Baltimore. So, you know, this I think it's negligible, the effect she has on the actual game broadcast, and maybe we can talk more about how how you enjoyed each broadcast later. But um, in terms of viewership, I mean, I think it's a non-zero number for the Super Bowl. But the Super Bowl always gets pop stars. Beyonce performed at the Super Bowl. So I don't know. But Beyonce is not dating, you know, a Hall of Fame, future Hall of Fame player either. Hey, Jay-Z's a hell of a lot bigger than Travis Kelsey on his best day. And look, the reality of the matter is that the Super Bowl already has the people who never watch football but tune in to see their favorite pop star. Now, granted, maybe this year they wouldn't have because they had Usher. I personally don't mind Usher, but I don't really think he's that famous, is he? I mean, is Usher a big deal? But anyway, um, the Super Bowl already has that element. So I, I to me, I, I cannot see that being a, a tremendously significant factor. Um, but it will um, do well. It will do well. Go ahead. Yeah, I, that, that won't stop the, uh, the numerous think pieces that are sure oh, to come out once. Aggregators? You mean all well, the people out there who want clicks and clicks and clicks? And well, that and, you know, the, you already said the Super Bowl is probably assuredly going to set a record, right? And there's going to be hundreds of these articles saying this was Taylor Swift's doing. And it'll be it'll be wonderful because we'll get all the nut picking. So the Vivek nonsense is going to be positioned as the voice of the people so that they can write about how horrible everyone's being and get hate clicks from that because that's the only way people get traffic on the internet now. Yeah, I guess the Taylor Swift saga has reached its inevitable conclusion. Of course. Let's let's um let's shift gears and talk about the broadcasts here. Did you find well, I think the the story going into this week is the two lead analysts for each network, right? You have Tony Romo at CBS um over the past few weeks and 
quite frankly, over the last couple of years has received his fair share of criticisms. And then Greg Olson, who over the last two years has become a rising star and a fan favorite at Fox, um, but is most likely getting replaced by Tom Brady next year. So let's start with Tony Romo. What did you think of his performance in the AFC championship game? I got to be completely honest. I never think anything of Tony Romo's performance. Like to me, I'll be, I'll put my cards on the table here. I'm a casual with the NFL, extremely casual. I watch the games every week. I watch them on red zone because I don't really care who wins. So I don't need to see every play. Uh, to me, it's all nice noises. When Scott Hansen's making his noises, it's a nice noises, right? That's really all. It's like jingling keys in front of a toddler. And Tony Romo is the same way. It's just nice noises. I don't mind. Do I know what he's saying? Not really. <laughs> I don't care. So it's entertainment to me, right? Um, look, has Romo become a little bit more shallow over the years? Has he devolved into a cartoon character? Yeah, he's like goofy at this point. And I don't mind it. It's television. Now, if you care about football, if you care about the X's and O's, and you hear this guy doing old Jim, Jim, all this stuff all the time, it's probably really irritating. But you know what the large proportion of the NFL audience is? The large proportion of the NFL audience is people who are just watching the games because they're on. And because the NFL is this big cultural bar, it's like the Cheers bar. Even, even Lilith couldn't stay away from the Cheers bar, right? And that's what the NFL is. Uh, everybody goes there, you spend your nice Sunday there, you go home. And I think for that purpose, Romo is fine. And for the very small sliver of the audience that will be tuning in for football knowledge on Super Bowl Sunday, they probably won't be served too well. But that's not a lot of people compared to the overall audience. Yeah, I I kind of agree with you. And it's quite the uh, you know vivid imagery there with the toddler dang jangling his keys. Um, I think just in general, announcer criticism is is pretty played out. It's pretty, I, you know, I th I think nitpicking ten and fifteen second sound bites of what an announcer says over a three three and a half hour broadcast is pretty ludicrous. I actually have always liked Tony Romo. I know everyone liked him at first, and you know some people have gone back on that, but I think he's very excitable. Um, he has an earnest love of football, and quite honestly, I thought last week when I was paying a bit closer attention um, than I was the previous two weeks, I thought he was a little flat. I didn't think he was as energetic as he normally was, and I'm wondering if some of the criticism has gotten through to him that he thinks he needs to tone it down a little bit, um, play it a little straighter than he does, because I didn't get the normal... Oh, Jim, this is the biggest play of the game, that type of thing. I actually like that. that you know, elevates the moment. It makes it exciting. Some people find it annoying, but to me, that's fine. But yeah, overall, no one's tuning in for the broadcasters. And I, I kind of agree with you that the discourse um, is kind of, you know, just like the Taylor Swift thing, a little played out. It's all disingenuous. It's all clicks. It's really all it is. Yeah. Look, here's the reality of the matter. Tony Romo's Dick Vitale. That's a huge compliment, by the way. Tony Romo is nowhere close to Dick Vitale, but that's the style of what he's doing. The reality of the matter is that this is a stylistic choice. Tony Romo's an entertainer. This is a television... How in the world do you get to get on your high horse about Tony Romo being an entertainer and then be like, but there's no problem showing a pop star in the stands every 15 seconds? It's an entertainment product. If one is fine, the other is fine too. This is not NFL matchup. 
This is the National Football League. It's a TV entertainment show. It's the number one entertainment show. It has pop stars in the stands, musicians beforehand, all these things. And if Tony Romo wants to do something that's not, you know, X's and O's and more just grunts and yells, then that's his prerogative. And I don't really think most people are upset about it. And I'll tell you something else, too. I'm not trying to call out awful announcing or anything. I'm really not. But awful announcing has existed, if you want to include the Brian Powell era, since, what, 2007. Awful announcing has been banging the drum every single day for 17 years, 2006, actually, so 18 years. Oh, man, this guy really screwed up. Wow, this guy. Man, he, this guy said, whoa, this guy. And eventually, it's just white noise. And eventually, you can just say, you know what? You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Why even bother to worry what the critics are saying? The critics are going to say something every single day because you have to have content on your website every single day, right? That's, that, that's the world we live in on the internet. So why even worry about it? And I'll tell you something else. Everyone loves Greg Olson now. Check back in two or three years. And Bill Sims, who had the job before Tony Romo, right? Eventually, you just got to say, I don't even care anymore, whatever. And you know who did that? Dick Vitale. Dick Vitale never changed his style. He had his biggest colleague in this industry, Billy Packer, maybe not explicitly, but certainly implicitly going after his style of broadcasting for years, and he never adjusted. And you know something? He's still himself all these years later doing what he loves to do, and that's really all you need to do. That's a great point. I think all the best ones uh, are able to tune the criticism out uh, I'm not sure if Tony Romo is uh, has that skill, but um, we'll see in the coming years how much his style changes or if he stays true to himself. This is a good segue, though, to Greg Olson. Um, this will be one of the more interesting offseason stories in NFL media. Um, where will he land, assuming that Brady is taking the number one spot at Fox? I think there are a couple realistic options. I think for next year and just next year, the most likely is probably he ends up as the number two at Fox. Still a great gig, getting a lot of good games there. But I think if you look one year further, there could be some openings for the number one booths, specifically at Amazon. Um, yeah. I think Al Michaels is probably done after next year, which means they might be ready to shake up their booth. Um, not sure what Herb Street con. Herb Street's contract looks like, but I think Olsen sliding into Amazon in the 2025 season would make a lot of sense. Um, where do you think he ends up? Do you think there's an opportunity for maybe a three-man booth with Brady? Um, or I guess let's let's focus on next year for now. Where where do you think Olsen ends up next season? Well, Fox would be crazy to let go, Greg Olson. They put in so much investment. They started with him before he was even retired. He would come in and do guest games. And it's not like he faded out. He was exactly what they thought he could be. A competent number one analyst, a good one, better than Romo. I don't disagree with the idea that he's better than Romo. He's excellent. And he's proven that he had the talent that they thought he did. So why just, you know, it's, it's kind of like the Dan Campbell thing. You know, you can just take the points. Take the points that are available to you, right? You don't need to do something ridiculous. Take the points. And in this case, the points would be keep Greg Olson there, even if you have to have a three-man booth. We haven't had a three-man booth in football in a long time at the, at the A level. Not since Joe Buck, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Collinsworth, and Troy Aikman. It's an awkward fit for football. It's not like basketball where 
Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson can spend 50 minutes of the game talking about cousins or whatever else, right? This is, it's a different kind of environment. And so ultimately you, it's, it's tough to make that work. I can't think of a great three-man booth in football ever. I can't think of one. I mean, it's, I mean, it's hard to even just think of examples. Like I think on college football for one year, they had Musburger, Herb Street, and Bob Davies. You know, they used to have, uh, it was Fowler, Herb Street, or Tarico, Herb Street, and Corso used to do the Thursday night games. I mean, this is not a lot of examples. But, well, Monday night football for a few years, oh, yeah. definitely. You know, yeah, you're right. With the That's Kornheiser like, booth and then well, the, the Gruden booth. Not even that, but like the classic booths with uh, Cosell and, uh, yeah. you know, Don Meredith. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, you probably know who the third person was, Frank Gifford. Sorry about that, Frank. But, um, yeah, look, the reality is, obviously, Monday night football is the, the great example. I should, I should have known that right off the top of my head. But... Uh, recent examples of three-man booths are few and far between, but they should do it because Olsen earned it. He deserved it. Um, if they decide to move on from Olsen as a full-time lead analyst, because at, at no matter what, he'd better be doing the Super Bowl next year. So if they could have him on the B team all year long and then put him on the Super Bowl. That's fine. But you don't agree? Well, that that seems absurd to have him calling games with a different team, a different crew the entire season just to throw them onto the Super Bowl, the most important game of the year. That that doesn't seem right. Well, that's a fair point. But to me, my thought process is if they are so desirous to have Brady and Burkhart together, at the very least, bring in Olsen for the postseason. You know, I mean, I mean, I just can't see a circumstance where you bump him. You can't bump him down to the B team. There's no real precedent for this. Like we've seen people get demoted from the A-team, but not when they were doing really well. Usually when they were kind of not that great and not really that acclaimed. I mean, this, to me, is someone who's just starting to take off as an analyst, and you're already demoting him? So to me, if, if they put him on the B-team with, with Joe Davis, at the very least put him back on the A-team for the playoffs, is the way I look at it. Saving money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Say big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Let's think about it. If if Fox were to hypothetically put up a three-man booth, even for the regular season, postseason, whatever, they would be paying well over $50 million annually for all three of those guys. $37.5 million a year for Brady. Olsen, when he is in the lead booth, is reportedly making $10 million a year. And then I'm not sure what Burkhart makes, but I think you can safely assume um, that would push the number to over 50 million. That's a lot of money to pay for one NFL broadcasting team. I did see reports where Olsen's salary would go down to around 3 million should he be moved down and demoted to the second team. So I think that's another factor in this. Fox could have some cost savings if they can get Olsen to agree to the second team booth. But I think there's a scenario here where you keep Olsen in the first booth to try to bring Brady along, to try to acclimate him to broadcasting. It's very rare that you get somebody that comes in and is a natural right away. Uh, you know, Olsen is kind of an exception to that. So is Romo. They, they both came in and 
picked it up relatively quickly, but um, that that's never a guarantee. Um, I think Brady will be great. Uh, I think he's very well-spoken and, and a great orator when it comes to football. And he's clearly very driven, and I think he wants to be good. But perhaps, you know, you can use Olsen as a bit of a safety net in a three-man booth. I think that's the best idea, to keep him, make it a three-person booth all season long. Uh, but uh, the way that I look at it is, you make a great point about the money. I mean, Fox is spending all this money on Brady, so they're not exactly fiscally responsible over there. But uh, look, hey, I mean, whatever they decide to do, we're talking about sports broadcasting. It's not that important. It's not a huge injustice. We don't need to start passing the collection plate, plate around because Greg Olson's going to drop down to $3 million a year. But it would be a needlessly self-destructive move. Um, frankly, all of this was needlessly self-destructive. They didn't even need to get Brady. They, they could have spent that money on literally on sports rights. They could have bought some rights for that kind of money. Yeah. Well, let's move on to one more topic. Oh, can I sneak that... in? Can I... Yeah, sure. All of that nonsense, it's all from Romo. Remember when everyone loved Romo when he was the bell of the ball? And, oh, look at all this money Romo's got. We got to start spending all this money on our broadcasters. And mm -hmm. the, only, the only money well spent was ESPN paying for Buck and Aikman. That's it everyone's talking about this industry collapsing in dust and people are just shoveling the money around. I mean, it's, it's kind of nuts. Some of these salaries, everyone's working really hard. Don't get me wrong. But some of these salaries are like, wait a second. I know you guys have to travel a lot, but like players have to travel a lot too. And some of them are making less money than you're making. What's going on here? Substantially less. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. no, I mean, uh, there's a lot of fiscal, ir fiscal irresponsibility going around. Well, I think we should get to one last reckless decision by a network when it comes to their broadcast booth, and that is shifting over to the NBA, where just last season ESPN had, as you say, the bell of the ball with Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson, and Mike Breen. Now you can say their number one team is in a bit of disarray. Um, that is no offense to Doris Burke and Mike Breen over there, but of course with Doc Rivers going to coach the Milwaukee Bucks, that booth now has a potential vacancy. Right now, it stands as just Mike Breen and Doris Burke. Um, ESPN will reportedly decide whether or not they want to add J.J. Redick to that booth in mid-February around the All-Star break and decide for good um, what that booth is going to look like for the NBA Finals. So, John, what is your take on what's happening with ESPN's uh, now a revolving door at lead analysts for their NBA games. Well, I wonder what things would have been like if Rachel Nichols had remembered to turn that camera off in her hotel room, because as a result of all of that insanity, and you know how I feel about that, you know, I feel that Rachel was, was badly, badly mistreated in that. Uh, but, you know, they, they made a big shift. And maybe they wouldn't have made that shift anyway, but they totally overhauled their who was in charge of their NBA. Now, I'm not, you know, Dave Roberts seems like he's well respected within ESPN. Uh, he seems like a very authoritative guy who knows what he's doing and is confident about it. But I don't really know if I have any confidence in his vision so far. You know, uh, he gets rid of Jackson and Van Gundy. He overhauls the look and feel, the aesthetic of the broadcast, which you know, in some ways was good. I, I don't mind uh, the, the, the new graphics package necessarily, but you'll notice how plain it looks in terms of the lower thirds. I mean, no little uh, extra things for the finals or anything like that. Uh, I, I don't know if I have any confidence. I mean, not that it matters what I think. It doesn't matter what I think, but I don't know if I have any confidence in his vision at all. 
And I think that uh, the decision to go with Doc Rivers without any assurance that Doc would even last a season was a pretty big mistake. Now, look, can, can Burke uh, do it alone? Yeah, of course he can. Doris Burke has been doing this for like 40 years. So literally, literally, she's been doing this since she graduated from college. She's been doing it since the early 1990s. He's very good at it. Is she the same analyst that he was in, at her best? No. Uh, much like Tony Romo, he's become a little bit more of a TV character. Which is to say, when you listen to her do a game, it's not quite as authentic. It's not quite as real as it used to be. There's a lot of kind of weirdly flowery language that she uses. Instead of just describing things plainly, she'll do a little grad school stuff. What I mean is when you read academic writing, they go in a very convoluted way to say something simple. Just say it simply, right? You know, but in academia, there's uh, people want to write in a very convoluted way to seem smarter. I don't think that's what Doris is doing, but I do think that she often makes her analysis more complicated than it needs to be, and she never used to do that. It almost makes me wonder if there was some interference by executives. You know how executives are. They get into people's heads and say, hey, try it this way, try it that way. And sometimes it sounds uncomfortably like she's on the, he's conveying analysis in a way that sounds like a take. She never used to do that before. She can do just plain analysis. Uh, but hey, even with that critique, I still think she's more than good enough to do this on her own. We don't need J.J. Reddick there. He's fine as she is, and he can be the first woman to be the sole lead analyst on a major men's sport. I think that would be worthwhile. Yeah. Do you think that is going to be a consideration in all of this for the ESPN executives in charge of making this decision? The fact that if you were to bring J.J. Reddick in, perhaps the optics of needing to bring another man into the booth uh, might play a role. And, oh, you know, absolutely. A hundred percent. One, the, what they should really do is get Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy back. That's what they should do. They can't do that. They wouldn't do that anyway, but they can't. You can't give Doris Burke the job. I mean, granted, they gave Rachel Nichols a job and took it away and had no problem, but that was to give it to another woman, right? Uh, in, in this scenario, you simply cannot give a woman this historic job and then say, yeah, we'll go with a man instead. I do think you can get away with adding a man to replace a man, but I don't think you could, you know, do anything beyond that. Um, and I think she can do it. She can do it. Because Doris, again, I have my critique of Doris, but I mean, she's still a top tier analyst. I thought the broadcast the other day was very well done. I actually thought it was better with just Breen and Burke than it was with Breen, Burke and Doc. Even though Doc is excellent, I never thought she and, and Doc had anything approaching good chemistry. They didn't have enough time to build it. Uh, and so I didn't think they had good chemistry. And I thought Doris was borderline silent during a lot of those games because Doc obviously was the star of the show. I think it, it can work with this Breen and, and Doris. Um, and um, Would you like to see Reddick at it or would you no, prefer to see? I don't want to see Reddick on there. No. Um, I don't know. I, I think JJ is really good. But I don't think he's at the point yet where I want him calling an NBA Finals. It, frankly, if they move one of those two on there, it should be Richard Jefferson. One, Doris needs to be the main analyst. He's a better analyst than Reddick or Jefferson. Uh, Reddick, to me, would take over much in the way that Doc Rivers did. I think Doris defers. He defers. When Doris was with Doc, he did not weigh in enough. So 
I don't want a situation where JJ comes in and he's taking over the entire conversation and Doris is just adding in a few little nibbles here or there. Jefferson, I think, one, has worked with a female analyst before and does so regularly, uh, Sarah Kustak on Yes. And so I don't think he would take over the broadcast in the same way. Uh, and he's also, because he's not the big star with the big, you know, uh, publicity behind him like Reddick is, um, he also would probably know he was just the third guy. And so I think he would be a good supplementary person to put there. But if Doris is going to be there, especially if Doc Rivers isn't going to be there, Doris needs to be the star. Don't give me this thing where we have a female analyst there, but you know, she talks every 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 15th minute. No, she's the lead. She's the lead. So I put in Reddick, uh, excuse me, Jefferson there as the third guy. That's what I do. Yeah, I I certainly think they should either go with just the two of Burke and Breen. Um, or as you said, I, I actually like that Jefferson play as well. But I, I do think there are a lot of optics in play here. Um, I think it would look really bad for ESPN to pull JJ Reddick up, considering his you know overall lack of experience in big time games. Um to to call an NBA finals with what like two years of actual game broadcasting experience. I, don't quote me on that. I'm not sure when he actually started. Um, well, I mean, Romo games. did it. Romo called a Super Bowl, but in year two. I, yeah, so did Olsen. So, but I will yeah, say it's, this: it's not unprecedented. I will say this: it would work out really well because Reddick will be better off being the sole guy with Ryan Muko. Reddick's a podcaster. He needs the space to breathe. So you put Jefferson in as a supplementary guy with Doris Burke. Uh, and I think, and you know, another thing too, I am reasonably certain that Dave Roberts is cognizant of optics. So an all white broadcast team would be something, something we have not had on the NBA in a long time. And so an all white broadcast team would be kind of weird for what I think Dave Roberts is trying to do. I mean, I, I actually think, I mean, what am I, what am I being coy about? I think he's been on the record about saying that diversity is something that matters to him. It's no secret. There's a lot of female analysts doing games now that we're not doing them before. So it's obvious that under Dave Roberts, that that is something that they consider. And if that's going to be a consideration, that's even another argument for, for Richard Jefferson uh, over Reddick. And again, Reddick will be better off. You give him and um, Ruko two-person booth. Ruko thrives in that scenario anyway with uh, Rebecca Lobo and all that. So. Well, once again, this is probably something we will hear about later on in February around the All-Star break. That is when ESPN will reportedly make its decision on this. Yeah. John, um, good episode. I think it's time to close it out. Uh, why don't you tease us for next week and uh, close out the show? Yeah. Uh, we got Patrick Starr booked for next week. I don't know if it's next episode but it's coming up uh bill baker bakey patrick Starr's book looking forward to that you uh you watch spongebob oh yeah uh you know i grew up on spongebob i think i was that prime um you know that prime generation that watched a lot of it so this is an exciting one for me i'll have to start rewatching some of those patrick heavy episodes for yeah. uh for the show well, you know, I was 10 when SpongeBob came out and uh, I rejected it wholeheartedly because, uh, you know, the open, they, they have the little open, you know, uh, what time is it, kids or whatever. And it's babyish, right? So when you're 10, that is exactly the time where it's like, I'm not a baby anymore. I'm not here for this baby stuff, right? 
get that Nick Jr. stuff out of here. And so I never got into SpongeBob because of the introduction. And I would have wow. liked it too. Hey, that, you're, you're transitioning to the Nick at night. Yeah, yeah, I really yeah. was. Uh, uh, I, that and Powerpuff Girls. Mm. Uh, you don't need to know. Uh, it's pretty obvious why a 10-year-old boy would reject Powerpuff Girls, right? But uh, I would have liked that and Powerpuff Girls, and I never got into them. Hmm. Well, uh, excited to have uh, the voice of Patrick Starr on next week. That's never something I thought we would have on the Sports Media Watch podcast. Well, hopefully it'll be the first of many voice actors. I, I want to get Kath Susie on here. Let's get Kath Susie involved. And, uh, <laughs> how about uh, Tress McNeil? And of course, the great Billy West, Maurice LaMarche. I mean, I, look, I know as much about voice actors as I do about sports media. I'm not even kidding. But wow. anyway, I digress. Uh, we'll be back here next week uh, talking more Super Bowl, yada, yada, yada. Have a great week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.